Good morning. Oh, let's try it again. Good morning. Good morning. You know, you do seem a little more perky than the 9.30 group did today. So I think you got that extra little sleep. Uh, so hopefully you're ready to go today. Uh, I am Steve, one of the pastors on staff here today. And I'm pleased to report that last week we talked about clean feet. And today I want to tell you that I am preaching with clean hands. You know, I've, yes, I, I'm taking advice after shaking everybody's hands. Coming in, I went and washed for 20 seconds. And, and I, I read now, that they say to wash underneath your fingernails. And I, I think this may be the first time I've ever washed underneath my fingernails. I don't know. But at least on purpose. And so they're doing that and uh, keeping clean. So uh, hopefully you're doing the same as we all uh, do our part to keep this uh, virus from spreading. Uh, we're glad you're here. Uh, it's exciting to be part of the, the worship here at Friends Church and to have the choir. is just great this morning. And we are in the midst of our series, Age of God, Modern Message, where what is God saying to us today? And we've been hearing him speak to us as we've been reading through the book of John. And hopefully you are uh, going along with us as, as we are getting closer to the end. Can you believe this is the start of week eight out of 10 weeks of reading the book of John already? And so we've been going slowly, and hopefully you've been sensing God speak to you as we've been going through this. Um, as we've been mentioning, things are really slowing down. In fact, we are still in the upper room where we were last week uh, because John spends a few chapters here in the upper room. And we're even going to slow down in our messages a little more because we want to time it so we hit the resurrection at Easter Sunday. So over the next few weeks, we're going to take a, a little more time and carefully look through this, what God is and Jesus is saying to the people. But today... We are still in the upper room. We're hitting this uh, very intimate look at Jesus and his disciples in the room. And we're picking our scripture up in John chapter 16. John chapter 16. It's page 738 in your pew Bibles there in the very bottom uh, corner. You can see it and then flip the page. It'll be on the screen if you want to follow along there. But Jesus has been talking to his disciples this is the reading that will come up in your reading on Wednesday. And you'll see him walking through and talking to them, encouraging them, strengthening them, warning them. And he comes to this passage. Verse 1. All this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. Stop and let that sink in. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember what I, that I warned you about them. I did not tell you from the beginning because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you ask, where are you going Rather, you are filled with grief because I have said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send to you, him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world 
now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak his own. He will speak only what he hears. He will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. If you've been around here for very long, you know that one of my favorite um, productions is a Broadway musical by Lin-Manuel Miranda, um, Hamilton. Um, enjoy the music, the story, everything about it. And, and uh, I was recently asked when some of the young people, our, our young adults came to our house to, what is your favorite song out of Hamilton? And I was going through all these songs I just love. And I finally kind of settled on one that isn't necessarily my favorite all the time, but you know, sometimes different songs speak to you different ways. And this song is called One Last Time. And the, the story of this song is now President George Washington has called Alexander Hamilton into his office. And he's about ready to drop a bombshell. And the bombshell starts off with letting him know that Hamilton's arch rival, his nemesis, uh, Thomas Jefferson, is stepping down as Secretary of State so that he can run for president. Hamilton's initial reaction is anger that Jefferson would do this to the administration, but then when he realized that he was going to be running against George Washington for president, he laughed and says, good luck, good luck defeating you, sir. And he laughs and he thinks it's funny until Washington drops the real bombshell. He says, no, I'm stepping down. I'm not running for president. I'm not going to run for a third term. And it goes on, and, and this back and forth between Hamilton and Washington. As Hamilton's trying to convince him that, that he should run, that the country needs him. How can they leave at this time? France and Germany, or France and England are on the verge of war. How are we going to handle this? The people need you. You can't go. And in fact, he, he ends up saying, Mr. President, in the song, they'll say you're weak. And he says, no, they'll see we're strong. And Hamilton says, your position is so unique he says, so I'll use it to lead them along. And finally, Hamilton in his frustration so what, says, why do you have to say goodbye? Why do you have to say goodbye? And Washington replies, if I say goodbye, the nation will learn to move on. They'll outlive me when I'm gone. The nation will learn to move on. They'll outlive me when I'm gone. And so... One last time, Hamilton starts to draft an address to the nation where George Washington will step down. Powerful song in, of giving up power when you have power. Doesn't seem real logical today, does it? And it didn't then either. But it does remind me of Jesus meeting with his disciples one last time, saying, I'm leaving. I'm going. I can say, no, you can't. We need you. But Jesus, like George Washington, uh, did it on his own accord. He wasn't forced. No one took his life as we talked last week. He voluntarily said, no, I need to step down. And he also said pretty much the same thing Washington says, but this is for your own good. 
You need this. You need me to step away. And we see that story being played out. In fact, in verse 1, it says, I've told you all of this so that you will not fall away. I've told you what's going to happen. If you go back, if you've read the last two days of Scripture, Friday and Saturday, John 14, and especially the end, and, and, and especially the end of 15, which you're going to be reading, you see this, this picture that Jesus is painting is not a pretty picture. He says, if they persecuted me, whoa, they're going to persecute you. And here he says, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to get their kicks out of killing you. You think they're doing God a favor. And so he says, you need to prepare, and I need to prepare you. And so I'm doing this for your good. Well, how can that be for your good? <laughs> how can that be for your good? And so he tells them. In fact, even going back a few chapters, in chapter 14, which you have been reading, when Jesus says, I'm going away, I'm going to my Father's house. I'm going to prepare these places for you. I'm going to come again and receive you to myself. And, and they're confused. They said, we don't know where you're going. We don't know how to get there. And he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. And then he starts to prepare them when he's gone. He says, but when I'm gone, I'm going to, it's going to be for your good. In fact, John 18 that we just read Verse 7 said it this way, it is for your own good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. In John 14 here is the first time we really see Jesus mention, discuss, teach on the Holy Spirit. There's some things that come up here in, in verse 14, 16 and 17 says, I will ask the Father. He will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. He says, I'm going away, but now there's, there's a replacement coming. There's someone coming that's going to be with you. And it's this advocate. It's this, this par paracletus. It's going to be this paraclete. It's this, this presence, this comforter, this helper. And he says, he's going to be with you forever. Forever. And then he goes on and says this, the world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. You know, he says the world is not going to see him. He's, he's, he's kind of like this invisible man that only some people can see. <laughs> only some, it's, it's, it's like being on a different, you know what a wavelength is or frequency. Only some people can tune into it. So only some people are going to be able to understand. You know, in the... In the, in the um, King James versions, I think it's about 90 times, the, the Holy Spirit is referred to as the Holy Ghost. And maybe that's, for our minds and right now, maybe that's better to think of someone, something that's invisible, but, you know, ghost takes on a little different term in our definition in our society today. So the Holy Spirit is used to describe this person who is, who is unseen. He says, you know him because he's with you, but now he's going to be in you. But it's so hard to understand. It's so hard to comprehend. But Jesus is understanding that he, as long as he is on earth, as long as he's with them, he's limited. He's limited by time and by space. He cannot be in all places at all time. He cannot, you know, when the disciples go out to start ministering, if, if John's in trouble here and Peter's in trouble here, he can only be at one place if he's even with them. 
And so as they go forward, as they move into these, these persecutions, as they move into this, this challenge that's going to come after the, after the resurrection and as, they, and as Jesus leaves, they are going to need something. They're going to need someone to come and to be with them. And he says, that's the job of this Holy Spirit. He says, but Jesus says, I got to go. It's time to go. One last time. This is it. But he says, but he says in verse 18 of that past chapter in 14, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. Finally, in chapter 14, verse 26, he says this, all of this I've spoken while still with you. I'm telling you this while I'm here, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. We're going to come back a little bit about what the Holy Spirit does. But I want to, I want to park here. Is it okay to park here a second? Um, if, if we're in a boat, we'd say, let's, let's throw it an anchor, you know. I want to stop here a second. I want, I want us to grasp what is happening. Jesus is in this passage, in chapter 14, 15, and 16, where he really talks about the Holy Spirit. It's introducing what, to many people at that point, was God number three. And this is why Jesus was having such a hard time getting through to the religious leaders. This is why Jesus was having such a hard time getting through to the Jewish teachers is, is they understood that God was one. The Shema begins in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And now with Jesus, you're telling me he's two. And now the Holy Spirit, you're telling me he's three. How many is there? When is this all going to end? Curtain one, curtain two, curtain three. Which God do you want? And so they would look at Jesus and they would say, how can this be? We believe in one God. That's why they would be upset when he would say, I'm God. Or when he would have claim to have attributes of God. Or to say, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So how can that be? God's one. We've seen, we know God. We've seen you. You're not God. That's why when Jesus says, I forgive sins and does things that only God can do, they get upset. They say, you can't do that. You're not God. God is one. You're not him. You can't forgive sin. And so they come to this, this, this dilemma of what are they going to do with, with this, this concept of God being a father and, and now a son and now a Holy Spirit. The Jews have dealt with this for centuries, still deal with that today. How can you have three gods? But it's not just the Jews. It's, 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 it's Islam and the Muslims. Allah, the Tahid, is absolutely one. If you have a, if you have a Muslim friend that, at work or somewhere and you start talking about Christianity versus Islam, it's, it's we, the, the thought of God being three, polytheistic. You're, 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 you're no better than all of those nations that were around Israel. I mean, that's what God said. You know, don't mess with them because they got multiple gods. The sun's God, the earth's God, the sea's God, the trees are God, the rocks are God, you're God, I'm God, everybody's God but God. <laughs> and he says, God is one. Jehovah's Witnesses are the same way. It was 1993. 1993, it was my first mission trip ever with Gary Wright and World Renewal. We were um, going down with 30-some people. We, were, it was, we had a big group going down to Jamaica, and we were um, doing um, medical work. We are doing um, vacation Bible school, a basketball camp, and evening um, rallies with band and preaching and move films, Jesus film, and all that kind of stuff. And it was going to be great. And we got into Montego Bay, and we were going to have orientation for two days or a day and a half with the team before we went 
clear to the other end, on the east end, to a little place called Port Antonio. And, and, but me and one pastor, he's a pastor of a French church, his name was Jim, been a pastor for several years, and that's his back, I was like 34, 35 years old, so I was, and I was a tax accountant, I was not a preacher, I was a tax accountant, I led music on Sunday, but I was not a preacher. And so, but we went, and as soon as we arrived, we went ahead of the group, drove across, and for a day and a half to, um, to do prayer walks around the city, to share with the kids what was going to happen. Hey, we're going to have Bible school, we're going to have basketball camps, come, you know. And, and also to check out some things. In fact, we went to the college where we were staying in the dorms during the summer that were empty. And I say dorms, don't get any ideas of anything nice. <laughs> um, so, but we get there. And we go up, and, we're, and the, the teams are arriving the next day. And so we're walking around, and we're seeing, and we, we want to find who's in charge. But there's no one around. We're walking around, and we finally find a room back, and there's a lady there. Are you in charge? And she says, yes. She introduced herself. She says, tell me about this world renewal. What, what, what's that about? So I was excited. We share what world renewal is about, that we, we bring the gospel, and we're here, to, here in Port Antonio to share the gospel by, by Bible schools and all this fun stuff and, and medical, and we're going to be treating people and everything. And, and so we were sharing back and forth, and all of a sudden, she leans forward, and she looks at us. She goes, tell me one more thing. What exactly is this three-headed monster you worship? Pastor Jim did what all good pastors should do. He looked at me and he said, Steve, why don't you take this one? (laughs) (laughs) So I, uh, I fumbled my way through it and found out that I, along with probably many, many other Christians, sometimes just have a little difficulty of putting into words the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. What, what is this thing that's been talked about and been taught all my life, but not really understanding? You know, the Trinity, and brought up by all those especially who, who disagree with the Christian doctrine, The word Trinity wasn't really even used until somewhere around 180 A.D. That's the second century. And and picked up by a a man called Tertullian. And then later in the fourth century, the 300s, we had the um, council at um, Nicaea and the council of Constantinople, where, again, it's it's more theologically put together in statements and said this is what as a Christian, an Orthodox Christian, we believe. And, and that word Trinity, the triune God, tri, three, un, uh, one, unity, God, all together. And so that, the, the doctrine has been brought forward, but a lot of times not understood. Because it's not mentioned in the Bible, it is sometimes difficult to understand. We can't really grasp our head. Really, we can only grasp our head around God as much as he reveals to us. What God has revealed, we can understand. The rest of God is beyond my even imagination. In fact, I love what uh, John Wesley has to say about our understanding of God, the Trinity. He says, bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, and I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. (laughs) Bring me a worm that can comprehend a man, 
and I will show you a man that can comprehend the triune God. And you know, if you've been in classes or you've been places, we try to comprehend and, and, and explain it a lot of times by using illustrations. Illustrations like, like water. We say, well, God is like water, but he can be uh, vapor, or he can be ice hard, or he can be liquid. Or God is like an egg. Uh, there's the egg. There's one egg, but there's a shell. There's a, a yellow part. And what's that called? Yolk. Yeah. Oh, yolk's on you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and, and then there's the white. Right? And then there's, some say it's like an apple. God's like an apple. There's a skin, and then there's the meats, the fruit, and there's the seeds. Uh, some would say he's like a triangle. God's like a triangle. There's three sides, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You take one away, the triangle doesn't stand. Some would say it's triangle or other parts that all fit together with intersecting part. And, and we try to explain it in illustrations, but not really understanding a definition, not really understanding of what that Trinity is. And so this morning, just a few minutes, I'm going to share something. And, I, you know, I've heard so many different sermons and some of these some messages over the years, some of them just go right over your head. You know, what are you talking about? But there was a, there was a man, he's passed away much before his, he should have, um, named Nabil Karishi. I don't know if you know Nabil or not, but he was with Ravi Zacharias Ministries. And he wrote, wrote a book, a great book called um, Seeking God, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. And he was brought up in a Muslim home, and, and, uh, and he became a very strong proponent for Christianity and, and debating, and, and especially with those of the Islamic faith. And, uh, and, and so this is one issue that comes up all the time, because they are so strong. God is one. And we say, yes, God is one, but he's three. You know, and well, how do you do that? And some people say one plus one plus one equals three, but one times one times one times one equals one. Uh, you know. What do you do with that? And so he says it this way. And I, wanna, I want you to think about this a second. You know, think about this. Uh, um, we are all beings. I'm a being. What, what type of being am I? Who said jelly? <laughs> no, no, not bean. <laughs> human. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a human being. But guess what? So are you, and you, and you, and you. There are hundreds of human beings in this room. There are millions of human beings around the globe. We all share the same makeup. We all share what it takes, what it is to be a human being. Just like God is a being, but he's a divine being. He is a divine being, and there is only one righteous, holy Awesome, creating, loving, divine being. Only one. And he is God. There is one. I am a being, but I'm also a person. I'm Steve. I have likes, I have dislikes, I have quirks. You're a person. All our persons are different. None of us are exactly alike in our personhood. And so I am, we are one being in one person. God is one being, but three persons. One being, one God, but three persons. 
Now, if you say, I still don't understand that, we'll join the club. <laughs> you know, we're worms trying to understand a human. But, but it helps to understand that, that God is still one. He is not divided. God, there are not pieces of God. He is one. But he manifests in, in three beings. When Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've seen my person, but you've seen the being of the Father, God. This creates some difficulty for people because they look at a verse you just read yesterday if you're reading through John. Jesus says, the Father is greater than I. If Jesus is God, how can a Father be greater than I? Well, if God is one being but three persons, and each person has a role, and we read in the Scriptures that each person has a role. Jesus has a role. The Holy Spirit has a role. The Father has a role. There, there are differences in the roles, and their roles are O-L-E-S, and there can be, a, and then amongst them, there can be differences in position. In my family, my dad, my father, is the greatest. He's greater than I am. In my family, because of who he is, he is greater. But we are the same in essence. We are the same. We are both human beings. He is not greater in his being. He's not greater in his essence. But his role in our family is greater than me. I think it was Thursday night, I got a text from my wife um, with a message from my daughter. And the message was, Dad, I absolutely forbid you to go to Israel next week. <laughs> She's worried. Well, I took all the pastoral knowledge, the pastoral you know, care and skill that I have, and my reply was, you ain't the boss of me. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't reply that. I told the Sheila that. But, <laughs> so, but it, I'm greater than her in our family. But in essence, we are equal. And so we see God in three persons. Yes, they have a rules. God, Jesus says, I am here to do my Father's will. I obey what the Father says. I'm doing this. And, and so we see this three in one. We can go through, is, is, does this make sense at all, even in the Old Testament? And you start looking for clues in the Old Testament, and you see things like, well, right off the bat, Genesis 1-1, God created, God is in the plural, Elohim, and, and, but it's worth a singular verb. And so you, you think, well, maybe that's a clue. Then you see God saying, let us create man in our own image, our own image, and he, they, he created them male and female. Then you see like God, after the fall, he says, take a look at man. He's trying, in a conversation among himself, said he's, they're, he's trying to become like one of us. In fact, you go to Isaiah chapter six, the great call of Isaiah, and God says, who shall I send? Who, will, who, who shall we send? Who will go for us? And you see this, this inference that, that God is, is some way one, but some way more than one. And in fact, in the, even in the Old Testament, when you see prophecies of a Messiah, of Jesus, you see attributes to Jesus of God. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father. There's an evidence that who is coming is going to be every bit God. 
Why is this all important? This is important to understand our, our thought, our doctrine, the study of and the, and the analysis of the Trinity is because if, if the Trinity is not true, then Jesus is not God. If Jesus is not God, what he's going to do here in John in just a f- few hours means nothing. What Jesus is going to do if he's not God is just become another martyr. And the world doesn't need another martyr and the world needs a savior. The world needs someone with the, who is God who can come and give his life so that we can be forgiven, so that we can live forever. Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus, in other places, uh, verifies, cements that concept that the Holy Spirit is God. And one is in, the, of course, the Great Commission. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all equal, three persons, one God in essence, one being, divine being. So a new person, the Holy Spirit, is now being introduced to these disciples as the one who I'm going to leave. It's better for you because you need him. And, he, and real quickly, he says there's three roles that the Holy Spirit's going to play. In this, in this, chat, in this um, passage, he says the first one is in verse 8. This Holy Spirit is going to prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Some older translations say convict. And, and, and that's a pretty good word because this is prove is a legal term. But it's not convict in such that you are guilty, here's your punishment, and off to jail. This, this convict is more proving, shedding light showing, revealing to the world. Here's an, here's an illustration that maybe will help you with that. Let's say I am accused of shoplifting from the local drugstore, okay? I'm accused of shoplifting from the local drugstore. I claim my innocence. I would never do that. I would never think of that. There's no way that never entered in my mind. I, you're, you're crazy. I'm innocent, I'm on the stand, and the prosecutor, we'll call him the Holy Spirit, (laughs) comes forward and he says, okay, Mr. Steer, you say you've never stolen. You've never shoplifted. Yes, that's what I say. He said, would you mind if I show you the video of the surveillance at the store? Whoops, I didn't know there was surveillance. (laughs) And so they they start showing the video, and they said, Mr. Steer, is that you walking into the store? Yes, that's me. Is that you with that extra, extra large size overcoat? <laughs> yeah, that's me. Mr. Steer, we have you in this aisle here, and you seem to be putting a lot of things in your pockets. Yeah, that's me. Mr. Steer, let's watch now to see where you go. And they start watching me walk out. Mr. Steer, you seem to be walking past the registers. Is that right? Yeah. Mr. Steer, you're walking out the door. You didn't pay, did you? No. No. Convicted. (laughs) Guilty. He convicts us of our sin. Convicts us of our righteousness. We'll never measure up to that righteousness of God. Convicts us that we need to get right so that there's not a judgment that will come on us. That's the role of the Holy Spirit in this world to reveal to us where we fall short. Verse 13 says, 
When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. The spirit, through, this is what we're doing as we read through John. We're asking him to guide us. Lord, speak to us. He is going to, he's going to re- help us to remember, to understand, to interpret, to apply the word that we read. It's not a new truth. It's an old truth. It's the truth that Jesus taught, but it's a new truth in that, it, that, it's, that it's applied to new situations. The situations that we are running into today in 2020 are much different than they were in the year 30 or around that time in the first century. Much different. But yet the word of God speaks to us. The word of God reveals to us. The word of God shows us. And finally, verse 14, the duty of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, well, glory. he will glorify me. The verse says, because it's from me that he will receive what he has made known to you. In the end, the role of the Holy Spirit is to bring honor and glory to Christ. And he does that through teaching us, through convicting us, by reminding us that it's through the blood of Jesus that, that we can be saved from those sins. By, we can be transformed. We can be renewed. And he will do that by glorifying Jesus Christ. That reminds me, I mean, this is the end of this this is the end of the discussion. This is the end, pretty much getting to the end of Jesus' um, last teachings with the disciples. But in verse, chapter 17, he starts a prayer. And the first verse of that chapter 17 is this. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus just said the Holy Spirit is going to glorify me. Now he says, Father, would you glorify me so that I may glorify you? And we get this circle within the Trinity of glorifying each other, of loving each other. Tim Keller in his book, The Reason for God, calls this the dance of God. That happened to be the very first sermon I ever preached here. The dance of God. Where God is in relationship with himself, with the three persons in one being, glorifying each other, demonstrating the love. This is why it's important that God is three in one, three persons. The Bible says God is love. In fact, in 1 John, he just says, out and out, God is love. Not God loves or God created love, but God is love. It's, his, it's in his being. It's who he is. Well, the reason it's in his being, the reason it's because who he is, can't be because he loves you and me, because we weren't always around. There were, at one point in time, there was no creation. There was no earth. There was no human beings. There was no angels. There was no seraphims. There was, there was God. And if God in his being loves, it's because of that relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That we're glorifying each other even before we were ever thought of. That we're loving each other before we ever thought of. Islam cannot have a God who is love. Because at the beginning, there was just him. Who's he going to love? What's he going to love? It can't be in. The God of the Bible is a God of love. And he loves us so much that he's working for us. He said, it's better I go because you're going to need help. You're going to need help. It's better that I go because I'm going to send somebody who's going to help you through these times. And the Trinity works together. In fact, I love what Anglican Bishop 
J.C. Ryle, 19th century bishop, says this. It was the whole trinity which at the beginning of creation said, let us make man. It was the whole trinity again which at the beginning of the gospel seemed to say, let us save man. Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty, early in the morning our song shall rise to thee. Holy, 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 merciful, mighty God in three persons, blessed Trinity. We believe in God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, three in one. Because of that, we can believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. And what he did for us makes a difference. Let's stand and let's sing this song that's taken right from that creed. I believe God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Sing it out. Our Father everlasting, the all-creating one, God Almighty. Christ the Son, Jesus our Savior. I believe in God our Father, I believe in Christ the Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit, our God is three in one. I believe in the resurrection, that we will rise again, for I And our defender suffered and crucified. Forgiveness is in you. Descended into darkness, you rose in glorious light. Forever seated high. I believe in God our Father. I believe. The Son, I believe in the Holy Spirit. Our God is three in one. I believe.
My prayer for you as we go today is the prayer of Paul as he closed out the book of 2 Corinthians when he says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. You're dismissed.